look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popovich. How you doing, buddy? Well, I'm good, Faisal. Good to uh, good to see you today. Uh, pretty interesting show. We're going to talk about the myths and the stigma surrounding uh, an Alzheimer's diagnosis. I mean, we talk about Alzheimer's all the time, but what is the social stigma attached to that? It's interesting. There's some uh, sad stories around that, unfortunately. I like this one coming up on our show. We're going to have medical tourism in Canada. Mm. Finally, we're talking about an opportunity here. I'm looking forward to seeing what the Conference Board of Canada has to say about it. Yep, and we're going to kick off our series, the first uh, series of this year. We're going to talk about divorce. Uh, there's lots of aspects of divorce, but it certainly it is a material change in a person's life and potential lifestyle. So we'll, uh, we'll have somebody from the Institute for Divorce Financial Analysts set the stage for what's going to be an interesting series of conversations. That's right. And so we also have our, our uh, um, upcoming seminar on all the topics from retirement, to health, Mm -hmm. to passing on your wealth, taxes. We're going to discuss it all, investing strategies on Tuesday, January 23rd, 7 p.m. at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine and Spirits. Now you need to reserve your seats. So give us a call at 966-8400-966-8400 or go to our website to register at morethanmoneyradio.com. If I said the word Kodak to you, what comes to mind? Pictures. Film, right? Pictures. Sure. It did. (laughs) It did. In 1880, that's what it stood for when the company was uh, was incorporated, and it's been known as a a leader in that space for a long time. Now, as film, of course, has been replaced by digital photos, you can imagine what's happened to Kodak as a company, right? It has been, to say the least, under pressure. Correct. Well... They may have figured out a way to exist. You know, an, an 1880 company figure out a way to exist in 2018. It's called cryptocurrencies. And since they've announced the <laughs> oh, fact okay. that they're going to be a cryptocurrency company, the stock this week, when I last looked, I'm sorry, this is Wednesday, Thursday date, it was up 283% this year. Wow. <laughs> so everybody should get into cryptocurrencies? Everybody should be in it. No. No, not. no, wait a minute. No, the Long no. Island Ice Tea Company did yes, it. Yes, yes. Long blockchain. Yes. Wow. Through the roof. Yes. So, okay. First of all, not everybody should be getting into these type of investments. Please consult with your advisor on that. I have to put the disclaimer out. The second part of this is is this is the the um, the time of year where people start looking for the next best thing. And what I find very interesting is is we've seen a lot of volatility in. And I'm going to pick on Bitcoin. They're not the only cryptocurrency, but Bitcoin, for example. Um, and I'm going to pick on another another theme, marijuana. Yeah. You know, cannabis coming in Canada, you know, reaching out in the U.S. They've had some uh, concerns and comments made from a from a legal perspective. And there's been some volatility in both of those those industries, which were the big topics of the end of 2017. Sure. Sure. No, absolutely. You know, it, it speaks to um, and listen, I suppose we fall in this category, but we've got to be careful uh, with what we hear in the press. Right, because these are attention-grabbing headlines that sure. we hear about. Absolutely, right? it gets attention, and then people are focused on it, and uh, it can create potential problems. Now, not commenting about whether the cannabis industry is good or bad, not commenting on whether any of the companies are good or bad, and not even commenting on cryptocurrencies whether they're good or bad. But you have to determine what are they, 
So are he, they suitable? Yeah. So do I think that cannabis is here to stay? Yes. Do I think cryptocurrency is here to stay? Yes. In what form? I don't know what the future will hold. Correct. And I don't think many people can accurately predict what's going to happen with these two industries. And you can take out those industries and let's go back you know, 19 years ago when anything with a dot-com made the same kind of money sure. as a cryptocurrency or some of these cannabis stocks. Profit was an ugly word. It wasn't even part of the conversation yeah. back then. Oh, in, yeah. Right? Long, and, and that's happening in these two companies, that's correct. these two industries, that's right? Correct. So as long as you're making some sort of revenue, you're getting paid. You don't even need revenue. You need the future hope of maybe having some revenue one the day. future hope of maybe. A future hope of maybe. Yeah, that's, that's the terminology. And that's exactly what's happening. And, and, and every time we see this, you and I, we kind of worry about, you know, with our clientele and, and listeners of the show that are over the age of 50 who want to get in because of the fear of missing out, um, the, the concern that I have is this thing can run up so quickly, it can also turn on you. Sure. Very quickly. Sure. And, if you, and, and I'm biased. I'm, I'm probably the most aggressive investor out of all of us on the team. Yep. Yet I'm still looking for businesses that are, I don't know, making money, profit. Profit's nice. Right. A company that are actually growing. Free cash flow. Company that are actually being able to pay a dividend would be nice. Yeah. Right? Um, they have sustainable revenue. They have predictable revenue. You can see what the barriers to entry may be in their industry, um, how easily they can get in, how easily they can get out. Those types of liquidity, all those types of things that come up into my mind about owning stocks. This is why I'm, I'm hesitant to look at these areas uh, at this point in time because I don't have that clarity. Well, so and let me say this before people start calling and email us, you know, you jerks don't know what you're talking about. This is the greatest thing in the world. Uh, it may be, it may not be. We're, we're, what we're actually getting, the point that we want to drive home is is discipline, right? So these, these attention-grabbing headlines, uh, and they're big numbers, like Bitcoin, you're talking thousands of percent return, right? right. In some of the cannabis stocks, you're talking, you know, hundreds of percent return and that gets people's attention and absolutely feeds into people's it's psyche. easy money it's easy money that's right what could possibly go wrong so again not a comment on good bad or indifferent what the comment is about it does it fit is it suitable for your strategy for what you're trying to accomplish now Faisal, let's just go down the path because we get lots of calls about this all the time let's say somebody wants to have that fun money crazy money venture capital money um, you can build a discipline around doing that, mm -hmm. right? Uh, what you can't do, okay, is bet the farm. Because Correct. if it goes the wrong way, you're in trouble. So a discipline around, like if you really felt that you were going to be missing out on something, and so you just wanted to say you were there, and you were prepared to risk X amount of dollars, and that X amount of dollars could go away to zero, and it wouldn't affect you in the long term. Yeah. Right? So what's what percent of your monies, your investments, are you able or willing to um, get, you know, lose? Right. And I mean, like gone, zero, right. like zero, like lost everything. Right. Right. And so that's a good question to ask. And some people have fun money accounts right. um, and they will build a portfolio of fun money ideas, yep. easy money ideas. And, and invest in it. And that's okay, that's okay if it's suitable for your situation. Right. Now, if you're 100% dependent on all of your savings for your retirement, I caution you on that no, approach. Of course, but absolutely. if you have an abundance of cash where you, you're prepared to lose whatever that, that dollar amount is, some may choose $5,000, some might choose $500,000. I don't know what your situation may be. Yeah. But if you're prepared to lose all of it, then have a conversation. And I'm not saying that 
marijuana stocks or or cryptocurrencies or blockchain, blockchain or any of that stuff is going to go to zero. Right. I'm not saying that because right. I don't know. But what I do know is that if these things can swing so fast that if you are relying relying on them to make your return for your retirement, you have to be prepared that they may go the other way on you. Well, and we saw that volatility in the cannabis market this week. I mean, you see, you saw some of the stocks in a two-day period selling off by 25, 30, 40 percent. Correct. Right? In a heartbeat. Two days. You wake up. Oh, my gosh. What like happened? 40% of my money's gone. Yeah. Where'd it go? So that, that, that volatility. So we, we heard the first phone call coming in. He's coming. He's calling, <laughs> calling to call you a jerk. <laughs> yeah. Send phase all You're those You're too emails. conservative, Mr. Carmelli. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. Anyways, it, 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 is, it is interesting to talk about this stuff, and, and I've talked about it a lot, but it, what it does is it affects people's psyche. That fear of missing out and is let such me, a powerful let emotion. Let me just throw in really quickly the yeah. opposite to that, and yeah. we'll put more detail in the following okay. next week maybe, is NAFTA. Right. I'm getting calls and emails saying NAFTA is going to go down. All of our companies are going to go to zero. We right. should get out of Canada. Right. Are you kidding me? Right. Are you kidding me? This is, you, this, you're going to bet everything on what? One party said or right. one group said, it's not done. Right. It's in no one's interest yet. Let them come out as a group and say we're done and then know what the alternative is before you make that rash decision because also trying to get into a company or a stock that's that's blowing up is an idea, but getting away from a fundamentally growing company because you're scared of the unknown is just as hard. It's, you lose out on opportunity. And that opportunity on a sound fundamental investment basis can really hurt your future. I got can you. really hurt your future. All right. Let's remind everybody again of the upcoming seminar, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah. Tuesday, January 23rd, 7 p.m. at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine and Spirits. We're going to discuss all of this type of stuff. The yeah. investment, the five-pillar investment strategy approach that we work with clients. We'll explain how all this stuff fits or doesn't fit within our strategy. And we're going to discuss that. But you need to reserve your seat. So give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or go to our website to register at morethemoneyradio.com. All right. Stick around after the break. Um, I think we're all familiar with... Uh, with Alzheimer's, but what does it really mean from a diagnosis perspective when you get that socially? How does that impact? What does the stigma do to people? You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money here with Dave and Faisal. Uh, Faisal, we've done a lot of shows on Alzheimer's. I'm, I'm sure most people know, uh, you know, generally have an idea of dementia and what, what dementia and Alzheimer's is. Um, uh, and we've talked about impacts. I'm not sure we've necessarily talked about the social impacts of it. Uh, a ton. We've got Mary Schultz joining us today. She's the Director of Education at the Alzheimer's Society of Canada. Mary, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dave. You know, uh, I want to explore this social side uh, just a little bit because, um, you know, I think, I think we're all generally guilty of, um, of what we believe to be sort of simple um, little comments, maybe jokes, when you forget something about uh, oh, you know, that's my Alzheimer's kicking in or something along mm -hmm. those lines. And, and they're meant for the vast majority of cases to be very innocent. But I think it speaks to something about the stigma uh, attached. So uh, the impact that that might have on somebody who is suffering from uh, dementia or Alzheimer's if they were to hear that. And I'd, I'd love to get your take on this. Well, you're absolutely right, Dave. I think um, there's a saying that we tend to make jokes about the things that scare us the most, and I think that has some validity here. We know um, anecdotally, but we also know from surveys that we've done across the country that Canadians are very worried about getting a form of dementia. Part of the reason they're worried about that is, of course, it's a very difficult disease to live with, mm -hmm. but they also have a lot of misconceptions about the disease. But that said, I think we do make jokes because we are so worried. It's kind of like crossing your 
your fingers behind your back and hoping that it's not going to happen to you. But you're quite right, Dave, that you know, Canadians are compassionate people. We don't make fun of people who are ill or who have a condition that they're struggling with. And what I often say to people, if, if you saw someone with a, a white cane or you saw someone with a seeing eye dog, chances are you'd, you're probably your first reaction would be admiration that they're out and about doing their life in, their, in the community. And you might even approach them and ask them if they needed a hand. But when we see someone with dementia, we are kind of afraid to approach them. And we, we don't have a lot of good information about that. So we do tend to make jokes about things, I think, that frighten us. Well, and there's some, there's, there can be some awkwardness, too, right? If you're having a conversation with somebody suffering dementia and there's some short-term memory impairment and, you know, they're asking you the same question over and over, there tends to be a bit of a, a social awkwardness attached to that. Uh, I, I mean, I see that. I, I live that um, for real because I've got a, a parent who's suffering from uh, from Alzheimer's and dementia. And, you know, you can see that with her friends and so on and so forth. And it, you know, it's a bit heartbreaking to uh, to yeah. see that. So let's maybe just talk about some of the uh, the myths of Alzheimer's. So you've mentioned this, we've got this fear. I think that's pervasive and, and in many cases very true. But what are some of the myths that people should, we should educate people about that might help them uh, avoid some of these things? Well, probably number one when we're talking about stigma is the when we think about someone with Alzheimer's disease or any other form of dementia, we tend to fast forward to the very end of the disease course. So in other words, we tend to picture somebody who is perhaps in a wheelchair, perhaps living in a nursing home, perhaps nonverbal, maybe not recognizing family and friends. And that can happen as the disease progresses because it is a brain disease. But that can happen 10, 15 years after diagnosis. So what I think the biggest problem is that people with dementia are facing from what they tell us is that if I'm here talking talking to you today and I'm diagnosed tomorrow with some form of dementia, I'm not really any different than I was today. Right. That doesn't, things don't change that quickly. And what happens, unfortunately, because we automatically assume the person has become completely incapable virtually overnight, we tend to do very um, abrupt and um, dismissive behaviors. Like we might say, oh, Mary can no longer come to the book club because there's no way she would follow the, the book. She can't go to a movie with us. She wouldn't follow the plot. She can't come to the church choir anymore because she can't follow the music. Um, instead of saying to Mary, um, what can I do to support you? Do you need any help right now? Maybe you're basically doing okay for now, but because I value our friendship or I want you to keep involved with our community or whatever it might be, or I want you to stay as a volunteer or whatever, we need to keep talking about what you need to continue to do well and we're happy to support you in that, just as we would someone who was diagnosed with MS mm -hmm. or cancer. We would accommodate. We would support. And uh, it's a two-way street, Dave, that people not don't always think about actually asking, how can I support? But people with dementia themselves often don't think they have a right to be accommodated in the workplace, in volunteer organizations, in the community but they are people just like everyone else with the same rights as everyone else. And we need to accommodate just as we do any other condition. That's a good point, Mary. I just wanted to kind of jump in and say, you know, what, what can the, the companies, businesses, government, institutions out there, can, what can they do to have the compassion and the accommodation for people who are going through this? 
Right. Well, we, you know, it may seem odd to your listeners to even imagine a person with dementia still being in the workforce. But first of all, we know people right now are working Mm -hmm. with dementia and maybe haven't even been diagnosed yet. So I think it is important for organizations like workplaces and employers, but also volunteer organizations to just accept as a fact that as we age as a society, the odds of you having somebody in your workforce or volunteer force that has a form of dementia are pretty darn high. You may have them already. That's pretty pretty likely. But even if not, you may as well start to accept that this is going to become an issue. And it's also because people are being diagnosed earlier in the disease course. So there's lots of reasons for that. But at the end of the day, we are seeing people in their prime of their working lives being diagnosed in their 50s and early 60s. So because for most people, they don't have a dramatic change overnight and a very fast progression, the odds are they are going to be working for at least a little while. And as they work, they need to make plans for exiting the workforce or changing their volunteer commitment. So the obligation is on the employer and the person who's been diagnosed to have a conversation about, this is my reality. I need help with continuing to fulfill my responsibilities and to plan ahead. So let's work together on that just as we would, again, if someone came to you and said, I've been diagnosed with a form of cancer. I don't know how the treatment's going to go. I may do well for a few years. I may not. Or I'm already having these issues. We need to work together on that. Mary, I think you've made some excellent points. We have to leave it at that point. Um, but thank you very much. We appreciate your input and the education and just raising the social awareness about this. It's not going to get any easier uh, for our, you know, for the Canadian demographic as we age. Thank you so much, Dave and Faisal. Mary Schultz joined us, Director of Education at the Alzheimer's Society of Canada. Uh, Faisal, we've got a seminar coming up. Now, listen, healthcare is going to be a part of, um, of everybody's reality as we age. Whether it's Alzheimer's or not, we, we hope not, right? But the fact of the matter is, as we age, we, uh, our, our goals and objectives change as a family and from a lifestyle perspective. And we want to address that specifically. Yeah, and let me, let me put my biases on the platform right out the gates by saying that I believe that Canadians in general will be spending more out-of-pocket for healthcare services in the future than they ever did before. And so that is a big concern amongst people who are transitioning to or living in retirement. Mm-hmm. Will they have the money to cover that? As well, will they have the money to maintain the lifestyle that they have? Those are big concerns. And so we're going to discuss that. And we're going to show the strategies behind protecting that on Tuesday, January 23rd, 7 p.m. at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine and Spirits. Now you need to reserve your seat. So give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966 966- Eight four zero zero, or go to our website at morethanmoneyradio.com. You know, I think uh, I think you raise a really good point in terms of how to tie it all, you know, tie it all together, right? Um, and here's what I want to say to people: is when you put together a financial plan, which becomes part of the foundation of your retirement plan, right? The none of these things are static. Correct. They're going to change. And guess what? Healthcare or health health events are often one of those material life changes that trigger things, trigger people to make changes in things, Absolutely. Right? And so I think, uh, I think you have to recognize that this isn't a set and forget. This is something that we, uh, we put in place, and then you have to go back and review on a regular basis. Okay, I want to encourage you as we, uh, as we part here for a break, uh, join us after the break for a discussion on whether Canada should become a medical tourism destination. How do you feel about that here on 770 CHQR and More Than Money? Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. 
Um, you know, Faisal, uh, we do a lot of shows on uh, on healthcare. Healthcare is a growing concern uh, for people because of this aging demographic, right? Um, and we talk a lot about about the about the Canadian healthcare system, and it's you know it's regarded as a bit of a national treasure. Now, some would argue that it's performing well. Some would argue it's not performing well. But I want to throw into the mix of the conversation the um, medical tourism. Finally. Yeah. So Finally. medical tourism isn't just about Canadians leaving Canada to go get treatment elsewhere. It's about other people in the world coming to Canada. Absolutely. Finally, we get to talk about this because I believe with an aging demographic we have in the Western world, that this is the opportunity that Canada can be a leader in the world. If we can just get everybody together and say, let's make this a priority, not only for Canadians, but for to being a a destination of medical um, cl- high-class work, mm-hmm. that would be awesome. That's ideal. Import or export? Or importing Import. people versus Import. exporting technology and knowledge? Well, I would, I would look at both, of course. We do have the technology and the skill set. If you look at the University of Toronto, for example, the amount of work that they do out there, yeah. phenomenal. When you look at what's available uh, here in Canada from a service perspective, the amount of diversification we have amongst people here, you, you can treat all different ethnicities, groups here in this country. Why not make this a, a destination for, for not just tourism, but medical tourism? Louis Therrieu is going to join us, Vice President of Industry Strategy and Public Policy with the Conference Board of Canada. Louis, thanks uh, for joining us on the show. Thank you. So we're going to we're going to talk a little bit about this this notion of medical tourism um, and how it could help um, Canada's economy. So let's maybe just start at a, at a high level and give us sort of give us the argument how this may or may not be the case. Well, it starts with the uh, the the idea that we've uh, invested so much in our uh, technology, our hospitals, in our uh, physicians, in our um, all the, the support systems, so we can deliver. Um, among the best care in the world in certain areas. And we know that in, in certain cases, we're not using the capacity to the maximum. So the question is, would there be a case where we could uh, use that that expertise, that, that investment, and, and, and turn that to our benefit if it's not... Uh, if it's not uh, changing some of the fundamental principles, which is, has to be around giving Canadians a priority around around accessing services. So if it respects that, Canadians always ahead, um, it just makes sense. And in, in the world where we're trading services more and more, why not include a, a really high-value-add sector like uh, like um, uh, healthcare as part of the, the, the options here? So it starts with an ambition. And knowing that some countries are actually doing that quite proactively, mm-hmm. uh, and see if Canada could actually leverage um, its 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 capacity in the area in the context of trade. So would it would it impact services for Canadians? Because that's the biggest argument that we hear that if if we open up the floodgates for everybody around the world to come to Canada, then uh, then I won't be able to get the services that I need because I'm Canadian. And uh, how do how do we figure that out? Yeah, and that's that's the that's the tension point, and uh, we really have to before we would go and and, and make any any strategy around uh, promoting trade and medical tourism, we would have to figure out some core principles around how this would work. And, and the first is uh, in, in that in, in those pre uh, in these conditions would be to give Canadians priority at all times first. Um, but that, so that's a starting point. The second one, you, you have to kind of start looking at healthcare as a, as a business all of a sudden, which is not 
the way we were looking at our health services. So you start thinking about things like identifying where there's capacity, how you organize the capacity to deliver that that care for uh, for for, uh, for foreigners, uh, you, and not everything necessarily deserves your, your your efforts in that area. So you would have to identify where the value is in the system. So what kind of procedures we have a competitive advantage, so to speak. So it doesn't, there's certain cases in what I would call more uh, commoditized type care. Uh, India is well known, for example, for art surgery. Probably not an area where we would like to promote Canada, but there's other areas into, um, where we invest into uh, diagnosis for, for cancer, some, uh, some uh, highly technical procedures that don't deal with high volume patients, but the capacity exists and it's 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 high value add, so to speak. So, those are the areas we'd have to focus on, and, and we'd have to charge. Uh, so it, it's starting to look at again back to the business model of 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 any of any sector. You would have to apply these principles to to the sector as well. And and finally, and not the least, uh, there's some uh, oversight that would be needed. So uh, we would have to think of what's the regulatory framework which would work. Uh, or make this thing work, uh, and, and the level of uh, of, uh, of transparency needed, so uh, Canadians have confidence that uh, this is used for 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 the purpose of generating income and using our capacity to benefit us in the end. So so there's there's we're far from having a system that can accommodate all that, but just starting the conversation and exploring what that could do is definitely something we should at least reflect on. Yeah, I think I think you maybe nailed it on the head. I mean, as a Canadian taxpayer, um, you know, we spend two hundred billion dollars a year was the last number I had on a system that, by all estimations, Faisal, you and I have done enough shows on this to know is not performing at the level that many international models are performing at. So, uh, as a Canadian, I'm concerned that we're getting good value right now, and then to think that um, that you could the priority becomes key, right? So if in any way, shape, or form I get bumped okay. uh, for somebody on a profit basis, I'm going to freak. And so the transparency sure. around um, around the service that's being provided, right, that perhaps is high value but uh, low volume, right, where there's excess capacity, man, the communication around that's going to have to be tight. So I, I kind yeah. of... I kind of look at this, Dave, as a little bit of a different approach as well. I think the minute you become, when you enter into a competitive market uh, where you are now opening services to the global market, then the expectation of services will change. When you take care of your own, when I come to your house, Dave, you might put something out to drink for me. But when you have... When I serve you, have, you twice. You know twice, the rules. Twice. Well, After depending. that, you're, you're on cheap, your own. Maybe. You're cheap. So I don't know two is the right one. But, but when, when you have other guests who hardly frequent your home, you might handle it a little bit differently. And so your service level in that situation goes up. This is the same concept as the educational system in the, in the post-secondary education. They have, they have um, allowances for foreign, uh, foreign students. And they pay way more than we do going to post-secondary education. And they have allocated a certain amount of spots for those foreign students. This can be the same process here in Canada. And our universities do promote themselves globally. Until somebody dies of a cardiac arrest and you see that a Kuwaiti was prioritized ahead of your family member, you got a problem. Absolutely. Right? 
uh, unle- Mike McGill dealt with that particular thing. So it's the excess capacity, and I, and, and I agree. I think there's an opportunity. I think we have tremendous resources here, tremendous knowledge, uh, the whole nine yards. There's no question about that. It's this the delivery a, of the overall service. This is a business. As long as you right. can make sure that your home is taken care of, you can open your doors to everybody. Yeah. Um, so, Louis, just so opine a little bit on this. We've got maybe a minute left. Um, you know, is this... How do you convince Canadians to, to think about this? Um, clearly, if we can make a profit on this, there is a positive benefit to the, uh, to the economy. But where, where, do, where do we start this process to even make it palatable for a conversation? I think you, you've kind of got to the fundamental point here is around enhancing services for Canadians. I think bringing some, um, a business mindset to how we deliver care uh, would open doors to uh, greater efficiencies and better alignment for for the, the critical mass of services that are offered to Canadians and would start changing how we look at different type of care. And uh, I think Canadians would benefit from, from the better alignment of resources in the system from thinking along these lines, more so than being a real cash generator for the system. Yes, mm-hmm. we could probably down the road, if we have a long-term strategy, get to critical mass of revenues that would make a difference. But to, to your point, we're spending over $200 billion now in, in healthcare. Before we start making a dent in the, uh, in, in, in the budget by in terms of revenues, extra revenues, getting from uh, medical tourism would take a long while. Mm-hmm. But the real payback is the low-wing and food around bringing some business discipline around how we align our resources in the system. I'm all for that, for sure. Okay, I want to thank you for joining us uh, today. We appreciate your time. A real pleasure. Thank you very much for the invitation. Thanks. We've been joined by Louis Thoreau, who's a vice president, industry strategy and public policy with the Conference Board of Canada. Faisal, we've got, um, we've got a seminar coming up here. And, you know, part of what we talk about from a lifestyle perspective is is health, right? Absolutely. Not just health care, but the fact of the matter is, depending on how the system uh, handles this massive demographic shift and demand that's going to be put on it. The health bucket is an asset class. We'll talk about that in the context of the entire wealth plan. Correct. It's going to be incorporated on our conversation on Tuesday, January 23rd, 7 p.m. At the Crowfoot Co-op Wine and Spirits, now you need to reserve your seats. So give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or go to our website to register at morethanmoneyradio.com. All right, stick around after the break. We're going to kick off our first series of the year, um, and we're going to talk a little bit about divorce. Unfortunately, divorce can have far-reaching financial implications, as well as many others, but far-reaching financial implications. And we want to uh, talk a, a little bit about the process, impacts, and what you need to do about that should you be facing it or know somebody that does. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money here with Dave and Faisal. Okay, so we're going to finish off this um, uh, this show by, uh, I guess, introducing a new series that we're going to start. Yeah. Right? Um, so there's lots of different things that are material in a person's life and in their financial life, and unfortunately, divorce is one of those things. Um, and it has, and it can have serious financial repercussions. Never mind all the other repercussions that uh, that that can have. One so, of the biggest impacts, Dave, that we've seen um, with clients and with people who listen to the show is that. Um, the impact of divorce, especially for those who are transitioning to or living in yep. retirement, is can be catastrophic, Correct. can be devastating for many individuals. Some might have to go back to work, and in this province, they may have been 
given a, a layoff or, or have yep. left the workforce yep. early. There's a whole bunch of concerns that come off. So I like to have this the series uh, talking about some of the bigger issues, but then we're going to get into some more more details throughout the next few weeks. Yeah, I, I think that's right. So maybe we just start with a bit of a high-level discussion about you know some of the broad strokes uh, so that we can set the stage for that. And then, as you said, there's a number of areas that we have to dig into um, on the financial side, and it will take us several weeks to do that. We have Sheena Besmer joining us today, the Canadian Program Manager for the Institute for Divorce Financial Analysts, uh, to help us understand, I guess, at a higher level um, and a broad, a broad basis, Faisal, a little bit about what we should be thinking about uh, kind of the trends, where divorce is going, and what you can expect. Yeah, so Sheena, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. So um, I'm a certified divorce financial analyst. You and I have worked on programs um, providing content information and, and, um, and workshops for uh, other certified divorce financial analysts across the country. Uh, we've done a lot of work with individuals out there, um, but you get a, a, an insight on on divorce from a different perspective than I do. And I, I'd, I'd like to first start to kick off saying, you know, I think divorce and the way that people handle their divorce has changed over the last couple of decades. So from your perspective, what, do you, what have you seen as been those, those changes? How are things different now when people are going through a divorce than let's say 10 or 20 years ago? Right. So, you know, I think a lot of people are, um, you know, looking for alternatives to, you know, the traditional avenue, which would be, you know, going to court. Um, I think people are looking um, to be a little bit more involved in the process and um, also wanting to be better informed. So um, certain changes that we're seeing are people who are going into, you know, uh, mediation or collaborative law and also hiring um, other professionals such as, you know, a CDFA professional such as yourself. Yeah. And so I think that's what's been a big change, Dave, when we're seeing that, you know, you, you get you close your eyes, and you think about a couple going through divorce and you automatically most people think about lawyers and the right. court case and getting in front of a judge and a big fight happening. And I'll tell you, it's not like that for the lion's share of individuals. They are they're able to handle a divorce or a or a matrimonial breakdown um, amicably, amicably. Yeah. Right. And that's that's a big change. And there's different ways that people can go through this process. And when you're dealing with our our demographic of people over the age, let's say 50, mm -hmm. sitting down and being educated in a lot of information that happens at one shot is very important. So you need to build a team. And so, Sheena, I'm going to come to you and ask you that. Who, do you, who should a person have on their team when they go through a process like this? Right. So, um, you know, we would say that the two most important would be a family law lawyer and a CDFA professional. So, you know, first and foremost, it's always important um, to receive independent legal advice, um, whether, you know, separation or divorce. Um, but, you know, there are a very unique set of financial consequences that can arise out of separation or divorce. So it's really important to meet with, um, you know, a CDFA professional who has a specific training, who's able to identify those issues as well as provide um, solutions. So those would be the two most important. Um, obviously, there are more depending on the issues of the case. No, I, I think that's interesting um, what she just said, because it's it is unique to each individual's family's case. Right. I Correct. mean, often doing the mathematics behind the assets that are owned is one thing, but then there's the complexity of the families. And if there's kids involved and so on and so forth, all of these things add a level of complexity and uniqueness that people have to be aware of when they enter into this process. Yeah, right? And part of the work that, you know, I've done with some clients is understanding the impact of their future. When you're going through, um, a divorce, you want kind of know, want to know what's happening today, but more you want to know how it's going to impact you in the future. Mm -hmm. And as you deal with someone over the age of 50, let's say, 
the future is not too far away. They might be already approaching or in retirement. Um, some haven't worked for for decades, you know. And and so how do they how do they actually have a standard of living that they've been accustomed to? Um, I always tell every single couple that I meet uh, that divorce will be a financial hardship to you. You are going to have right. an impact, right. right? The degree of impact depends on how you, you handle this process, but there's going to be an impact. It's not going to be the same as it was because you cannot take you know, the same amount of money and assets that you have as a couple, divide by two and have the same lifestyle. You just can't do that. And so there's going to be an impact. And so you know, we've, we've uh, seen do, some differences. Yeah, I'm going to jump in there because I'm going to add up one of the professional uh, categories that, that Sheena said because particularly when you're getting to that stage where you're approaching or living in retirement, um, I would add a CFP to that, a certified financial planner, right? So if you want to understand the impact, it's like you said, we got the business of separating the assets in our lives. That's one step. But two, it's understanding the longer term impact of what that of what it's going to do to your lifestyle, right? So as a CDFA, you, you know, you can do the the you're qualified to do the mathematical analysis on the separation of the assets and so on and so forth. But as a CFP, a certified financial planner, now you can do some analysis on what that future is going to look like and help make some decisions through that process as well. Correct. And that's just the financial side. Right. The, the lawyers come in on the legal perspective to make sure that you know, you're protected from a legal side. Um, there are changes that are happening when it comes to, and I call it, uh, great divorce, people over the age of 50. And Sheen, I'm going to bring you on this part, is that you guys have done a lot of surveys and information on both sides of the border, not just here in Canada, but in the United States as well. So what kind of trends have you been seeing that's been different? Or or what are some of the key things that you've come out from surveying certified divorce financial analysts across North America? Right. So, yeah, definitely. This is um, a very notable trend that we're seeing. Um, so recent studies are showing that uh, the rate of divorcing couples over the age of 55 is you know, not only steadily increasing, but it's actually expected to grow even further as the population continues to age. So, you know, and this is of particular interest because, you know, as you mentioned before, there's special consideration that needs to be taken uh, into account in terms of, you know, retirement versus non-retirement assets. And then also, you know, reviewing what the, um, the long-term financial goals are for both parties. So you can kind of get an idea this is very complex. It's not easy to do. Yeah. People people <laughs> will um, will try to uh, figure this out on their own. And I'll, I'll tell you right now, there is not one place you can get all yeah, your definitely. information at. You, there's not one resource. You can Google whatever you want to, but Google's only going to give you 7,000 different websites right. to go to. Right. So that you need to have a team on this. So this is very important. Um, what are some of the impacts, Sheena, that you've, that you've seen or that, you, that the CDFAs have reported to you about um, when people are going through divorce for, for, let's talk about gray divorce, people over the age of 50. What are some of the impacts that happen to those, those types of individuals? Right. So, um, you know, especially in instances where there was, uh, you know, more traditional marriage. So you may have one spouse who, you know, did not have the opportunity to, say, contribute to a pension, um, whereas the other one did. So, you know, they might have to look at, you know, what kind of income do I have to rely on in my retirement? So that's something to consider. Maybe they have to go back and, you know, retrain or um, possibly downsizing. So, you know, they really have to kind of look at their... Well, looks like we've had some technical difficulties. <laughs> we this is live. <laughs> this, uh... <laughs> okay. So I think where where you know when you're looking at at that kind of age demographic, some of the key issues that you have to look at is not just um, um, what's going to happen in retirement, yep. but taking out pensions versus the home versus right. RSPs, and it's it's a very cumbersome process. And the law has some specifications beside behind um, 
matrimonial property. Right. And so you do need that advice. And I think this sort of series that we're having, Dave, is going to be very important for people because, and the reason why I brought it up so early in the New Year's, because this is when I start getting phone calls. Yep. Exactly. I, my phone starts ringing off the hook saying, I, I need some information. I need, I need to talk to you. I need to have a sit down meeting, something like that, where, you know, divorce is, is unfortunately, uh, uh, this is peak period for me right. when it comes to this. Kind yeah, of no, so I want to have yeah. this conversation. We've right? seen that over the years, haven't we? Okay. We'll leave it at that. Um, join us, uh, each and every week for the next several weeks as we sort of flesh out some of the detail of this. So if you know somebody that is contemplating or thinking or going through that process, I think you'll find that very, uh, in a very educational series. Now, before we sign off, we've got a seminar coming up on uh, Tuesday the 23rd. Everybody worries about their future and in their retirement. How are they going to have that kind of income and that lifestyle? Well, we're going to discuss all those all those topics, including tax and bulletproofing your retirement on Tuesday, January 23rd, 7 p.m. at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine and Spirits. You need to reserve your seats. So give us a call, 966-8400, 966-8400, or go to our website at morethanmoneyradio.com. All right, we'll look forward to seeing you there. And just a reminder before we uh, we finish up this show that you can access past segments on morethanmoneyradio.com or you can have them delivered directly to you by searching for More Than Money CHQR on iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money on 770-CHQR. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.